Good morning, Cedar Creek. How are we this morning? That was good. That was really good. Uh, if I haven't had the pleasure to meet you here in person or online, my name is Jordan Nates, and I am the Centerpoint Director here at our Banksmall campus. Centerpoint is our middle school and high school ministry. And if you have attended Cedar Creek before, you know that I am not the person that is usually up here. Thank the Lord. Uh, but our lead pastor, Philip. Uh, is gone this week, and so they gave the reins over to the youth guy. So we're about to have some fun, so I hope you're ready. All right, uh, we're, we're gonna start with a, with a quick question this morning. So if you're in person, just raise your hand. If you're online, let us know in the chat what you would say. But if you had to lose one of these things for the rest of your life, which one are you choosing to keep? So the two choices are your sight and your hearing. So how many of you, if you had to choose, you are choosing to keep your hearing? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Okay, a few, a few, okay. How many of you are choosing to keep your sight? There we go, yeah, yeah. I would definitely say the same um, because if we lost our sight, there would be so many different things that we would miss out on, right? Like we would miss out on the beauty of colors, looking into the eyes of somebody that we love, oh, right? Uh, to see the expression uh, of someone's face, whether it's a family, family member, a friend, whatever it is, seeing their expression, getting to see that beautiful, beautiful Clemson, Georgia game last night where Clemson lost. Okay, I'm sorry, I went too far, I went too far. Go Cox, so. Um, but regardless, there would be so much that we would miss out on, right? Like anytime that I hear of someone who was either born without sight or they have an accident where they lose their sight forever, like my, I, honestly, like my stomach drops because you realize that there, the, the sight that we have on a daily basis, it's something that we take for granted, but it's oh so important and it's oh so beautiful. And there was a time in my life, there was one time where when I was in seventh grade, that I thought I had gone blind forever. Uh, my parents thought it was a really good idea growing up and I still do, I love watching football, but we thought it would be a great idea. Hey, you love watching football, you play football with your friends, why don't you go out for the middle school football team? Didn't go well at all. Uh, at, at that time uh, in seventh grade, uh, I was 5'5", five, five, 200 pounds. So just like a huge, just ball of chunk, right? And you would think I was good, but I wasn't. But I tried out for the Summit Parkway uh, Middle School Eagles. Go Eagles, baby. Uh, but made the team, because pretty much everybody does in middle school. And the day that I knew that, because I want you to know, like this was my one, and I'm gonna put an emphasis here, my only year ever playing football. And the day that I knew that this was like, yeah, this is for sure, this just isn't happening ever again. There was a day in practice where if you played football, coached football, anything like that, you know that there is a drill that you run on a regular basis called the sideline drill. And so you have two lines where one, you have one lined up on the sideline where basically they get a ball and they, when the whistle blows, they run as fast as they can. Then there's another line that's at an angle and when they, the whistle blows, instead of them having a ball, they're trying to get the person with the ball, right? Again, just a reminder, seventh grade Jordan, 5'5", five, five, 200 pounds. For whatever reason, coach decides, hey, let's put him in the sideline group where he's running with the football. I don't know if they just wanted to laugh. I don't know if they wanted me to die. I don't know if they just wanted a mixture of the two. I don't know, but I'm in the line and I'm sizing up. Like, I'm like, okay, this person's in the line. This person's in the line. Definitely don't want to go to this person. But there was one person in particular 
out of everybody that I wanted absolutely nothing to do with. And his name was Bear Polk. His legal name was Bear. His parents looked at him and said, we're gonna name this kid Bear. And he fit the description because one, he had two older brothers, one Rodney Polk, any South Carolina fans out there, Rodney Polk played linebacker back in the 2000s. His brother, his other brother, I can't remember his name, but he played at East Carolina. Bear is my age, he's seventh grade, but he has the body of a 30 year old man. Like the dude's just an absolute unit. And so I'm in line and I'm literally letting people cut me in line just cause I'm like, Bear's, well, I mean, Bear's pretty close. <laughs> no, 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 you go ahead, you go ahead, you go ahead, right? And one of my coaches sees it, he blows the whistle, he says, hey, Nate, to the front of the line right now, I'm gonna pair you up with, you guessed it, Bear Polk. Yeah, so I was like, I'm gonna die. I'm literally, this is the day, seventh grade, I'm gonna die. I've lived so long, I'm gonna die. Let my mom know that I loved her, but this is it, right? And so they blow the whistle and I take off sprinting, like literally as fast as I can and within like three seconds, cause I'm, I'm so slow. Within three seconds, I see him in my peripheral and I just brace for it, close my eyes super tight and he just hits me like a Mack truck. And I'm laying on the ground and I'm like, that was terrible. Like I might be dead. But here's the thing, I open up my eyes, pitch black. Can't see a daggum thing. And I'm like, he hit me so hard. This dude's, an, this, dude's this much of a freak athletically that he knocked the vision out of my eyes. And so I, my coach comes out, he's like, Nate, you alive? I'm like, yeah, but coach, I'm blind. I can't see. And he goes, hey, let's see if this will help. He takes me by my face mask and because Bear Paul hit me so hard, it's all the way in the back of my head. He turns it the right way and then I'm able to see again. That's a true story, that really happened. But all that to say is one, football career, didn't pan out at all. That, that was pretty much the end of it, right? Um, but even more than that, if we really think about it, to lose our sight would truly be devastating because of all that we would miss out on and how important and precious it is in our lives. And what I want us to see this morning is that there's another type of sight that each and every one of us has that is a million times more important than our physical sight, and that's our spiritual sight. Our spiritual sight is basically the vision that we get to be able to see God clearly and how he's working in and through our lives, in and through our world, and in all of creation, how he's working. But one of the most tragic curses of sin entering into the world in Genesis 3 through Adam and Eve is that we are blinded to these realities about God. But the worst thing that sin does is it makes us feel like we can see. Like we're blind to these realities, but in our sin, sin tells us like, no, like you can see clearly you're good. And, and we see in John 9, 39, that this is why God sent his son, Jesus, to come to earth. This is, what, this is what Jesus says in John 9. He says, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see. And those who do see will become blind. What Jesus is saying is that for those that are spiritually blind, he will give the vision for them to be able to see and to be able to see God clearly and to see how God's working clearly. But he's also saying for those religious people who think by their good works or the, the good things that they do that they have spiritual sight apart from Jesus, Jesus says, I have come to show them that think they can see that they're actually blind. And, and I believe this morning that the Lord wants to do the same thing for us, whether you're here in person or you're online, 
through a story in the book of 2 Kings. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn, click to 2 Kings, but we'll be in 2 Kings chapter six. And in this story, we have the prophet named Elisha, not Elijah with a J in the middle, but Elisha that came after Elijah. And a prophet back in that time, back in the Old Testament times, a prophet was somebody that God ordained to speak to the people of God on God's behalf. And we have him in this passage that we're gonna look at where Elisha prays a simple but powerful prayer to open the spiritual eyes of two groups of people. And my prayer for us this morning is that God through his Holy Spirit would open our eyes in the midst of whatever situation that we're going through, regardless of what we walked in here with, that he would open our eyes to see what God is actually up to. And so the first thing that I pray that God would open our eyes up to this morning is that there is a real war for my soul. That in the midst of whatever we're going through, there is a real war for my soul. And in this passage that we're looking at, the people of Israel are going up against these people named the Arameans. And the people of Aram, which is present day Syria, they absolutely hate each other. They're always button heads. And, and starting in verse eight in Second Kings six, we see some insight of what's going on and how much they actually didn't like each other. So look at, with me in verse eight. When the king of Aram was waging war against Israel, he conferred with his servants, my camp will be at such and such place. But the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, be careful passing by this place, for the Arameans are going down there. Consequently, the king of Israel sent word to the place the man of God had told him about. The man of God repeatedly warned Israel's king so the king would be on his guard. The king of Aram obviously was enraged because of this matter. And he called his servants and demanded of them, tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel. And one of his servants said, no one, my Lord, the king, it is Elisha, the prophet in Israel. He tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in your bedroom, hello, right? So the king said, go and see where he is so I can send men to capture him. So we see that the king of Aram is adamant about destroying the people of Israel and the king of Israel. And so he would say to his people, he'd say, hey, I know the king of Israel is in this place. We're gonna pack up and we're going to this place. Little did he know though, that God had given Elisha the insight and the wisdom to be able to know where the king of Aram was going before the king of Aram went there. And so time and time again, Elisha goes to the king of Israel like, hey, you don't wanna go there. Aram, you remember, they hate you, they hate us, they wanna kill us. If you go there, you will die. And so constantly over and over and over again, the, the Israelites were always one step ahead of the Arameans. And so naturally the king, of, as we see, naturally the king of Aram is, he's mad. Like he, he's like, what's going on? Like we, he'll like, we gotta figure out who the imposter is, who the mole, who the rat, who is leaking this precious information to our enemies. And one of his servants look at him and they say, hey, no, whoa, calm down. It's none of us. It's Elisha, Israel's prophet. And he knows everything that you say, as we saw, he even knew what was said in his bedroom. And so what was the logical response of the king of Aram? Hey, the guy who knows everything I'm about to do before I do it, Let's figure out where he is and then we can go capture him. 
makes sense, right? Like he's never gonna see that coming, right? Like the guy that knows everything that you're about to do, that makes total sense, right? But let's continue to see what happens in verse 13. When, when the king of Aram was told, Elisha is in Dauphin, he's in Alabama, just kidding, he wasn't. He sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elijah, oh, my master, what are we gonna do? And so the king is told, hey, Elisha, he's in Dalton. You need to go get him. And so I was joking about the Alabama part, but Dothan was a place in Israel where Elisha and his servant was. And so when they found out about that, they said, hey, we're gonna travel by night while they're asleep and we're gonna surround the entire city. And so Elisha's servant wakes up the next morning, is about to have his quiet time, makes a cup of coffee, and he looks outside and realizes that the entire city is surrounded by the Aramean army. Like there's no way out. It, it, like he's looking at it, he's like, oh my gosh, we're gonna die. We are doomed, all hope is lost. And as I was reading this this week, I, I, like in my own life, I feel this way, but I think if we were honest this morning, a lot of us feel the exact same way that that servant felt when he woke up that morning. Like if we were honest in the, the situations that we're going through, we feel surrounded by the pain and the troubles that we're having. Like in the situations that we're in, it feels like there's no way out, all hope is lost, that we are utterly doomed. And what I wanna acknowledge this morning is I realize the things that we go through, we all have real problems. I don't want you to, to listen to me this morning and be like, yeah, your, your problems, they aren't real. Like just trust in God more and you'll be fine, right? But we have real problems that we're going through. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a diagnosis that you got recently that has completely rocked your world. Maybe for you, it's a job that you've been a part of for a while and you, you feel like it should be better than it is, but it's just sucking the life out of you if you're honest. Maybe for you, it's, it's conflict that you're having with a spouse or a family member or a friend, or maybe for the students that are in here, a new school year that felt like it was gonna be normal, finally, but in the first few weeks, it's been anything but normal. Whatever we're going through, I, I wanna acknowledge again that it's real. But in the midst of our real problems, I need you to know that there's also a real war going on for my soul and for every single human soul. That there, there is a war going on, not like the one in the story that's against the Arameans and the Israelites. It's not a war against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual war that happens every single day from the time that you open your eyes to wake up and you close your eyes to go to sleep. And on one side, we have Satan who wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy you. He wants nothing more than to rob you of the eternal pleasures and the eternal life that is only found in Jesus. And he'll use any situation, he'll use any person, he'll use any possession, any position, any thought, any desire to try and keep you from doing so. And he'll even use anything in this world, he'll promise you, hey, the fullness of life, the fullness of love, the fullness of peace that can only be found in Jesus, you can find that in this world. And what ends up happening is it leaves us feeling disappointed it leaves us feeling defeated and it, it, it leaves us feeling unworthy. Which that, that leads me to the second thing that, I, that, that we need God to open our eyes up to this morning. That not only is there a real war going on for our souls, but we also need eyes to see that there is a real God fighting for me. 
that in the midst of the real war that is going on, there is a real God who is with us, who loves us and is fighting for us. And I need all of us to listen to this because this is so, so important. As I was preparing this week, I, I realized in my own life that far too often that I would like to admit, I live in a way that, that, that it's almost like you would think I believe that this war that we're going through is one-sided. Like, like, like I mentioned, it, it, it feels like we're completely surrounded by the enemy and there's no way out. There's nowhere to turn for help, that, that, that we're essentially alone in this fight. And to take it even deeper, the more that I thought about it, the majority of us as Christians in the United States live this way a lot more than we would like to admit. That, that we live in, in such hopelessness and panic that, that as Christians, we're called to have a defiant faith. And what that means is we're, we're called to, and it, no matter the odds stacked against us, we're called to be able to trust in God and trust that whatever we're going through, he's working it for our good and for his glory. But instead, what I see so often in my own life and what I see in our nation is instead of having a defiant faith, we have a deflating faith. And this deflating faith is losing air with each day that goes by. And too often that we would like to admit, I think if non-believers looked at the way that American Christians look, we would tell them a Christian story that is essentially not true. And what I mean by that is you would look at our lives and, and non-believers would almost think that the Christian story is, hey, Jesus came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died for our sins, he was in the grave on Friday, he was in the grave on Saturday, he was in the grave on Sunday, and he stayed there every single day since. However, this morning I'm preaching this to you guys and I'm preaching this to myself that this is not how the story ends. That we as believers, regardless of what we're going through, we must cling to the truth of the gospel. That yes, Jesus did come to earth. That yes, Jesus did die for our sins. And yes, Jesus was put in a grave and he was in there on Friday, he was in there on Saturday, but on Sunday, he defeated sin and death once and for all by rising from the dead. As we just sang, it is finished, death has been beaten, he is alive. And in the midst of darkness, we can have hope. In the midst of panic, we can have light. That in this war, we have a God who is fighting for us and he is doing so not for victory, but from victory that is that, that we already have through the death and resur res resurrection of Jesus Christ. That in the face of the enemy, we can say with bold confidence that there is nothing and that means nothing that can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. No mistake, no tragedy, no closed door, no global pandemic, no po political decision, not even death itself, because we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. I better get an amen this morning, or I'm gonna come down there and check your pulse. Because this is the reality of the gospel. Like we come in here so often, like I, I was sitting and really think after this week, really thinking on the words that we sing about. Like, do we truly believe the things that we just sang or do we just come in here because we're supposed to and then we walk out and we live our lives loosely in light of the truth that we have? Because we need to start living like this is true because it is. This isn't just some abstract idea that we believe in. This is a person and a God who is alive right now and he is fighting for us right now. And we need eyes to see this. This was the same case for Elisha and his servant. Like he, like he wakes up and he's like, this is hopeless. Like this is a hopeless situation that's going on. We need eyes 
to be able to see it. And Elisha's servant needed eyes to see it too. Look what it says in the rest of the passage. It says, Elisha said, don't be afraid for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Arameans came against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, please strike this nation with blindness. So he struck them with blindness according to Elisha's word. Then Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. And so rightfully so, Elisha's servant is freaking out at this point. He's like, Elisha, what are we gonna do? And Elisha says something that's absolutely crazy. He's like, hey man, the army that is with us with God outnumbers this army that is surrounding our city. And like, I put myself in the shoes of Elisha's servant. I'm like, that sounds really good. Like that sounds good on a coffee mug or like an Instagram caption. But like, I'm not seeing anything right now. Like, do you see what I'm seeing? And so Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. And when he does, he sees an entire army surrounding him of angels with chariots on fire on horses that are surrounding him. Even though the Aramean army surrounded the city, God's army surrounded his people. And it wasn't like, I want us to see this too, because sometimes we think, hey, like God's not there and if I pray, he'll show up. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like God wasn't there and then Elisha prayed that and God's like, oh man, how did I let that happen? Let me go over here for a minute, right? He was there the entire time. It's just that Elisha's servant needed the eyes to see what was going on. And that's exactly what he did. He opened his eyes to see who God was and what God was doing in that situation. And so once that happened, the Aramean army comes charging at Elisha and his servant. And Elisha prays that the Lord would strike them with blindness. And this wasn't a physical blindness where they couldn't see, but it was more of a spiritual blindness where they were more open to suggestion and manipulation. And we see that through the fact that they know what Elisha looks like. Like I must imagine they had like a wanted poster of Elisha, like they had his face on it. Like they knew what he looked like, but they were so spiritually blind based off of that prayer that Elisha said that they look at him and they're like, hey, do you know where Elisha is? He's like, yeah, I'm not Elisha, but I know where Elisha is. Let me guide you to him, right? And so what he does is he guides him there and God provides for his people. God protects his people. And I want us to see that, that in the same way that God was fighting on their behalf, he's fighting on our behalf too in the midst of the war that we're going to. Through. And in light of these two realities, the last thing I pray that God would open our eyes to is that we would see that there are real people who need to know. That in light to, of the real war that's going on in our souls, in light of the real God who is fighting for us in the midst of that war, there are real people in our homes in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our schools, and even in our church that are blind to these truths that we've discussed this morning. That, that if, if we looked at the lives of some people, they have never had the moment where God has intersected in their life and they've seen their sin, they've seen Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they've turned from their sin and turned to him as their Lord and Savior. They're blind to who God is and the love that he has for them. And it's because of this that because we have been given spiritual sight to see who God is and we have that relationship and we've experienced salvation through him, we're not to just enjoy 
the fullness of life and the fullness of love and the fullness of peace that only comes from Jesus, but we're called to share it. The gospel has come to you, the gospel has come to me so that it may go out to somebody else. And the same is true in this story that we're looking at this morning. And I would encourage you to read the rest of it, but, but just to kind of give a quick summary, Elisha leads them to Samaria. And in Samaria, they put them in the spot where the Israelite army is now, the tables have turned and the Israelite army is now surrounding the Arameans. And I remember first reading this and I'm like, oh man, God's about to bring the pain, baby. He's about to give it to them because they deserve this punishment for messing with God's people. Instead though, something shocking happens because Elisha says, hey God, open their eyes to see And you think right then they're like, dude, they're about to destroy him. But instead, Elisha tells him, hey, don't don't fight them. Don't kill them. Give them food and water and have a feast with them. (laughs) What? Like, are you serious? Like literally just a couple hours ago, they had us surrounded. Like I started my morning off. I didn't get to have any coffee this morning because the Aramean army was surrounding me, wanting to kill me. And now you're like, yeah, just have lunch with them. Have Sunday lunch with them. Why don't you? What? That literally makes no sense because (laughs) there are enemies. Like we shouldn't be treating them as friends, but that's exactly what they do. They have a feast for them. And the last verse in this passage, what it says is after the Arameans ate and drank, they never entered the Israelite land again. That through that opportunity, through God's providential hand, that God provided for them and ultimately protected them from their enemies. That in this, we have an unbelievable response. Like if I'm the king of Israel and Elisha tells me to do that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like I'm, I'm striking these dudes down. No questions asked. But instead we have an unbelievable response to an enemy army. And even more than that, we have a beautiful picture of the gospel. That we are people created by God to be in relationship with him fully. We decided that we had a better way than God did and we turned our backs against them and we were eternally separated from that relationship, deserving of eternal punishment. However, instead of giving us the punishment we deserve through Jesus, he shows us the love and the forgiveness that we will never deserve. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus, through making him Lord and savior of our lives, this truth is what is over each and every one of our hearts that we are no longer enemies with God, but we are friends, we are sons, and we are daughters with him. That we're no longer outcasts from him, but he gives us a seat at the table with him for eternity to enjoy all that there is to enjoy with him. And this is the greatest news of all time, and there are real people in your life and in my life that need to hear it right now. And God has placed you where you are He's given you the gifts that you have on purpose and for a purpose. And that purpose is to share the good news of Jesus with the short life that we have on this earth. There are people in our lives that need to know there is a war going on right now for each and every one of our souls. And there is a real God who is with them. There is a real God who loves them. And there is a real God fighting for them right now. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would have eyes to see the people 
who do not know this truth. And I understand this morning that whether you're here in person or online, you're hearing this and you're like, hey, Jordan, like this sounds all good. Like I've heard a lot of this stuff before, but if you looked at my life, this does not feel real. Or even more than that, if, if, if I were to talk to you, maybe you would tell me, hey, Jordan, I've been praying about this certain situation for a really, 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 really long time. And God still has not given me what I want. And I wanna leave you with this, if that's you this morning. Because there's a super small detail from this story that the majority of us miss. I missed it the first time that I read this. But, but anybody in the original audience who is reading this, they, they wouldn't have missed this. Because as I mentioned in verse 10, Elijah and his servant, when they were surrounded, they were in the city of Dothan. And anybody in the original audience, if they knew the Old Testament, they would automatically connect that place to another man of God who found himself in deep trouble. And that's Joseph. In Genesis 37, we see Joseph had been thrown into a pit, not just thrown into a pit, but thrown into a pit by his own brothers in Dothan. And he prays to God in that pit that God would deliver him. And did God answer his prayers? Well, yes, but not in the way that he wanted to, not in the way that he expected. Because as we know in the story of Joseph, he was sold to a group of slave traders from Egypt. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's put into jail. He meets this butler while he's interpreting dreams. And the butler's like, hey, I'm going to the Pharaoh, but like, dude, I got your card, your people will talk to my people, like I'll get a hookup with the Pharaoh and we'll get you out of here right away. And the butler forgets about him. But all of that, through all of that stuff, all of those hard things, God was working in and through those situations to get Joseph into a place where not only he was protected, not only his family was protected and rescued, but the people of God were protected and rescued when a famine came all over the land. And this led Joseph to have open eyes and to see the reality of his God and his God in the situations. When his brothers are apologizing to him in Genesis 50, 20, he says these words. He says, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. And I want us to see this morning that just because God is not working in the way that you want him to, that does not mean that God is not working. That just because God doesn't feel like he's there, he promises us time and time again in scripture that he always will be. He is with us and he is working in and through us no matter the situation, no matter the heartache, no matter the loss, no matter the setback, no matter what relationship, he's working in all of those things for your good and for his glory. And the same God who was with Elijah in the midst of the war, the same God who was with Joseph in the midst of the pit and in prison, is the same God that is with us in the war for our souls that we go through daily. And he is fighting for us on our behalf right now as we speak. And my prayer for us this morning is that he would give us eyes to see this and that we would live each and every day that we have left on this earth in light of its truth. Let's pray. God, my prayer is simply this. The same prayer that Elisha prayed for his servant, that you would open our eyes. You are the only one who can do it. I can't do it. 
A parent can't do it. A spouse can't do it. A boss can't do it. A home group leader can't do it. Only you can open our eyes to see who you are and what you've done through Jesus and what that means for us. And so God, this morning, simply meet us where we are, regardless of how good or bad things are going. God, open our eyes to the fact that there is a war going on for each and every one of our souls every day and there is an enemy who wants nothing more than to destroy us. But God, encourage us this morning that the war is not one-sided, that not only do we have a God who is fighting for us, but we have a God who already has victory. He's not fighting for it, he's fighting from it. Because through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. It is finished. It's done. And so God, in light of these two realities, God, open our eyes to the real people around us that are in need of this truth, that are in need of their eyes being opened to the good news of Jesus Christ. God, use us in our homes, use us in our neighborhoods, use us in our schools, use us in our jobs, use us in this community, use us in this world to further your kingdom. God, we love you so much. And we pray all of us in your name, amen.